so glad you're with us today. This is our fourth installment that we've uh, talked about. We've entitled it the series, The Missing Peace, because we're missing out on so much peace in this culture in which we live. I mean, if you get wound up on all kinds of reports and websites you can find on your phone, my, uh, through uh, social media and other things, you can just be worried to death about everything. Uh, sometimes life is just hard. And in fact, we live in a fallen world and uh, where it's just hard to find peace. But the first point on your outline is this. It's hard to find peace in our world, but it's easy to be disappointed with God. I mean, it is. And for those of you who are joining us online, I'm glad you're joining us too. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's times when we don't understand God at all. I mean, just this last year, because of COVID, I met with people and their business went out because they had to close down for a certain amount of time and they had planned for years. Some people had just launched a business six months before COVID hit and everything seemed to be on the way up and then they had to shut down and they never were able to come back. There are other people I know, they lost a loved one during COVID. And there's times when we're in a relationship, we love somebody. I mean, man, there are many times in ministry I've met with people and a spouse leaves because of an affair. And they're heartbroken. And they go, this is what we prayed about. This was my life. This was my desires. This is, these were all my dreams and hopes. And now they're just evaporated. And where's God in all this? And so today what we're talking about is, well, how do I find peace when I live in a world where bad things like this happen? And I'm just disappointed. I don't get a straight answer from God. I can ask why, but I don't even know what he's doing. Now, if you think, wow, John, you're going to go there? I mean, surely the Bible doesn't talk about this because God wants us to trust him and stuff. Well, what I want to tell you is the Bible is a book that is extremely relevant and extremely honest. And the Bible tells us if we're going to have a relationship with the creator God of the universe, the infinite being who knows all things and can do all things, then we're going to have to trust him. We're going to have to trust him. And there's times when we're not going to understand him at all. In fact, let me give you a couple of illustrations here. These are in your outline. Job 3.26. Job had lost his children. He'd lost his wealth. He'd lost his health. And this is what he said. I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. This is one of the heroes of the Bible. In Ruth 1 verse 20 a woman named Naomi has moved away with her husband and her three sons. They move because there's a famine in the land of Israel. They move to the land of Moab, and they go and seek a better life. Just, they just seek to get by. But while she's there, her husband dies and both her sons die. And one day she comes back to Jerusalem, and the only one who comes with her is uh, a woman by the name of Ruth, who one of her sons had married. And so she's left now with just a daughter-in-law. But in those days, women couldn't own property and a a Moabite woman was a woman considered to be from the wrong side of the tracks. And so when she gets to Jerusalem, the women of Jerusalem greet her, and she looks really down and depressed and sad. And they said, can this be Naomi? And she said, well, don't call me Naomi. This is Ruth 1.20, because Naomi means pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? This woman has got a 
an amazing future God has in store for her, but at the time she can't see it yet. Then there's 1 Samuel 1. This is uh, the story of the prophet Samuel. begins with his mother, a woman named Hannah. She was married to a man named Elkanah. There was a man named Elkanah who had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. In those days, the way you passed on property was through your children. And if a man married a woman and she couldn't have children, he would often take a second wife. Who could? So he could pass on the family line. And that's what apparently happened here. And Peninnah was not nice. He had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. And each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh, that was the place of worship, and they would sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. They'd travel there at different feast times. One of the feasts was the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a time at harvest time when you would celebrate God's goodness in the fall and how he'd provided abundance for you. And there'd be a lot of feasting. And Peninnah, at that time, while they were there at the tabernacle celebrating God's goodness, Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and wouldn't even eat because it was part of the whole celebration was to have a big feast, kind of like we do at Thanksgiving, and talk about God's blessing, and, and Peninnah would go, oh, Hannah, isn't it great to be here and celebrate God's blessing? I mean, look how good God's been to me and giving me all these children. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't have any. Talk about mean girl. And Hannah was brokenhearted, and she cried before the Lord, what are you doing to me? I mean, this is her experience. And then there's Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord during the time of a wicked king over Israel by the name of Ahab. And Ahab, through the influence of his wife Jezebel, had started worshiping instead of the true God, the maker of heaven and earth. He'd worshiped this stupid little statue of the rain god. And because that's what Jezebel wanted. And so God said, Well, if you're going to worship this little statue of a rain god, I'm, it's not going to rain until my prophet Elijah says it's going to rain. And Elijah wasn't told by the Lord to pray for rain for three and a half years. Go worship that little rain god. Let's see how well that turns out. The whole place was in shambles three and a half years later. Elijah came back. There was a powerful demonstration where God sent fire down from heaven to prove that he was the real God, not dumb little statues. Elijah prayed for rain. There was a big downpour. And Elijah thought, man, now there's going to be a nationwide revival. But the next day, the wicked queen Jezebel, she put a bounty on his head and said, I want that prophet dead. And Elijah ran for his life. And here's what he said. I've had enough, Lord, Elijah said. Take my life. These aren't the hopes and dreams I wanted. Naomi's going, I went away with a husband and two sons, and we were just seeking a better life, and now I come back, and all I got is this Moabite daughter-in-law. Ugh, my life's I'm changing my name to Bitter. Literally, that's, that's it. Just call me Bitter. I'm just going to be bitter. Hannah wants a baby so bad she can't stand it. She can't even eat. Elijah says, I, Lord, if this is the way it's going to turn out, then you might as well kill me. I don't, I don't want to do this. 
And Job's saying, I got no peace. Trouble just keeps coming. I mean, I lost everything. Where are you, Lord? Now, if any of this relates to you, and it, it has to because we live in a fallen world, then you need to pray with me right now and ask God to help us see from his word, word his perspective on things. Because his word, what's so amazing, the Bible's extremely transparent about this. I could have given you 10 more examples on this. How do we respond to this? How are we supposed to find peace when not only we live in a fallen world, but we live in a fallen world where God may not answer prayers the way we pray them at all, and life may take a completely different direction than we had hoped? How are we supposed to find peace in a world like that? I've got some wonderful thoughts for you straight from God's word. And if we're open to it, they'll give us great hope, and they will give us abundant peace. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you, Lord, that although we live in a fallen world where it's hard to find peace and it's easy to get disappointed with you, we have your word to guide us. We have your Holy Spirit inside of us. We have Christian brothers and sisters around us. And Lord, today we ask that you would give us great encouragement. Oh, gracious God, remind us of your truth. Remind us how great you are and how kind you've been to us. And help us see things from your perspective. Change the way we think, Lord. And give us peace. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, this brings us to point B on your outline. We struggle to find peace because we don't understand why Almighty God allows so much pain and suffering in our lives. We don't get it. David, Psalm 22. I mean, a man who was anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, but the current king, his father-in-law, is trying to kill him. Hunting him down. David's hiding in caves. And he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. And I'm putting these passages in here where you can find out where Naomi's saying, well, God Almighty did this to me. And Hannah's saying, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? And Elijah's ready to give up. I mean, he's in despair. I just want us to hear all these things so that we can know that we're not alone. We're not the first generation of people to live. And when God's word allows us to trace the thoughts of these people and their lives, you'll see by the time we finish this message that God had amazing plans that they could never have grasped. But he asks us to trust him. So here are a couple of thoughts that are terribly important for us. When God doesn't do things the way that we think he should, it's not because he can't do it or he's unable to do so, but because he's carrying out his plans. And his plans aren't always the same as my plans. Can anybody else verify that besides me? If you can, raise your hand high. Okay, his plans are not always my plans. I'm God, there is no other. This is Isaiah 46. I'm God, and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I've said, that I will bring about. And what I've planned, that's what I'm going to do. And God says, look, I am working 
but you're not always going to understand me. I know the end from the beginning. I see all things. I know all ends. I understand all possible outcomes. And that brings us to the next point. And you can't because, and the reason he doesn't explain more to us is because about his plans because they're too complex for us to grasp. We arrogantly think, well, God, you can tell me what's going on. I can handle it. It's like, no, you can't. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We can't begin to understand all the things that God is doing. The creator of the universe is working all things together for his good. Job, who had lost his family and lost his wealth and was covered with sores, stood before the Lord and he said, Lord, I want an answer from you. Why are you doing this to me? He'd had friends that had come by and they were trying to explain something. They said, well, Job, you must have sinned. It must be your fault. That must be why it's happening. And Job said, I promise you guys, this isn't a punishment for anything. I didn't do anything wrong. If I could just get God to answer my question, I just want to know why. And what's so interesting is, is that when you get to Job 38, God does something amazing for Job. He answers him out loud. He says, Job, if you want an answer to a question why I've allowed all this to happen, I'll answer that. But first, I want you to answer a couple of questions for me. How do you get the earth spinning on its axis? Can you explain that? How do you create all the life forms on earth so that they all fit together and food chains and there's an ecological balance to things? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to stir up the currents of the oceans, or the winds of the atmosphere? Do you know how to do these things, Job? And he goes through in chapter 38 and 39 and chapter 40, God is saying, Job, and he goes, he points out thing after thing after thing. He goes, you don't understand any of these things. And if I tried to explain it to you, you wouldn't grasp it. And so here's what Job says after he hears this. He said, I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. Now, look, God made us inquisitive people. We, we want to know why. That's part of the human condition. But he also wants us to come to him and say, God, you're amazing. I mean, this is the, this is the struggle we have, and the reason why the Bible's so transparent about it is, is because when we come up to God, we're coming up against a being who is infinitely superior to us in every way. I mean, it's one of the reasons he tells us, hey, call me father, because you're like little children. There's many things kids don't understand. I mean, they want to go run right across the street. Don't run across the street. Well, why not? Well, there could be a car coming. I don't see a car. I know that's the thing. You're not going to see it. You're going to have to trust me. I want a candy bar right now. Mm -mm. Why not? We're having dinner in an hour. I don't care. <laughs> and that brings us to the next point. Because God doesn't explain all of his plans to us because we grumble. We stubbornly refuse to follow the plans he's already made known to us. And then we blame him and we suffer consequences for our disobedience. And that's true too. God, how come you don't explain why this happened and this happened? Well, I have explained to you how I want you to love people and forgive people and be faithful to your marriage vows and to be kind to people and be generous with your resources and to plan for the future. I've given you all kinds of instructions about being good stewards of what you have. 
why don't you do those? Yeah, I don't want to do those. In fact, in Numbers 14, the children of Israel, he's led them out of slavery. He's led them right to the edge of the promised land. He's been feeding them miraculously with food that appears on the ground every morning. All they have to do is go and gather it. There's a pillar of fire that guides them by night, a pillar of cloud by day. They were showered with gold and jewels and all kinds of fine clothes by the Egyptians when they left, so they were dressed well, and God had been taking care of every need for them. They got to the edge of the promised land. He said, I want you to go in. There's some imposing armies in here that you'll need to defeat, but don't worry. Just trust me. I'll rescue you from them the same way I rescued you from the Egyptians. But they refused to go in. And so here's what the Lord says. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? And so he said, God, why don't you tell us what's going on? Well, I've told you lots of things. You don't even listen to what I have told you. And if I tried to explain all the rest of it, you wouldn't understand it. You're just going to have to trust me. And this is the big life application for the whole day. We don't need to understand God's plans to have peace. We just need to trust him. When I tell my children, don't go play in the street, they don't have to understand why not to play in the street. They just need to trust me that they don't need to play in the street. They're children. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We've had this verse in every message in this series because this is the key to finding peace, perfect peace. I can trust God even when I don't understand him. Can we read this verse out loud, please? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Not fixed on, God, I don't understand why this happened this way. God, I don't like this this way. God, I hate this. This is painful. This is hard. Oh, he knows that. But he asks us to trust him anyway. We live by faith, not by sight. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. And Job, when he was going through all that, he had to resolve, and he said, though God slays me, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And Isaiah said this, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. I mean, can I have confidence that God is working even when I don't want it to be this way? It was in June of 1988, I was out on a camping trip with a bunch of high school kids. I worked for a ministry called Young Life, and every year we would take a backpacking trip where uh, we'd get a couple of guides to go with us, but we'd be dropped off on one side of a mountain range, and we'd hike over the top, and a week later we'd get to the other side and we'd be where somebody would pick us up. And it was adventure camping and we work all year They'd be to reach out to high school kids. A lot of them, they had never been to church. They had all kinds of issues and problems in their lives. And you'd have a whole week with them with all these amazing conversations. And so it was a really, and you had to work together as a team because it was climbing these steep trails and camping. I mean, everything you packed, all your food and everything was packed in. Whatever you packed in, you had to pack out. It was tough. 
but there was bonding that happened there. And so I've been looking forward to the trip. And so we're a couple of days in on this. We've hiked up uh, to a pretty high spot on the ridge. And then I remember we woke up one morning and we're having breakfast. And a park ranger comes by, comes to our campsite, and he goes, is there anybody here by the name of John Schmidt? Now, when that happens to you, you're not assuming you just won the lottery. You just won the lottery, okay? That's not it. You're going, oh, no, this is bad news. And I said, yeah, I'm John Schmidt. And he said, well, you need to come with me. Your wife, Debbie, has gone into labor prematurely, and you need to come home now. I'm going to give you like 10 minutes to get your stuff together, and then we have to run. Can you run? And so we were going downhill the whole way, and we ran all the way back to that base camp. And then had to catch a flight from Durango to Denver and from Denver to St. Louis and from St. Louis to Montgomery. And uh, by the time I got there, um, our, uh, our first child was a little girl. Her name was Taylor Catherine, and by the time I got there, she had died. And we were really, really, really disappointed. And um, I remember some people would talk to me after all this happened, and they said, well, John, I mean, you were on a camping trip where you're going to tell kids about Jesus. I mean, you left an engineering job to go into ministry. I mean, you're one of the good guys. You're doing everything God wanted. Why would God let this happen to you? Why would you, God let this happen to Debbie? And we didn't get an answer why. But when we put our hope in the Lord and we talk about these things of quietness and confidence and that I'm going to trust him and keep my eyes on him. When Debbie and I worked through this, there were a lot of tears. But what gave us hope is, is that little girl, little Taylor Catherine, though, she passed away here. She's safe in the arms of Jesus. I got to tell you, another little part to this story happened about eight and a half years ago when my mom died. I got to visit with her right before she passed. And the day before she passed, she said, John, I want to tell you something. I'm not long for this world. I know it. She grabbed my hand. She said, well, but... I'm going to see Taylor Catherine soon and I'm going to give her a big hug for y'all and I'm going to tell her you're going to be along soon too. My mom loves Jesus and she cried and cried too when that little girl passed away. And I believe all that's true. And so even though I don't know why everything happens the way it does in a fallen, broken, broken world, I believe that Jesus has overcome the world. And even though there's pain and sorrow, the sorrow may last for the night. There's joy in the morning. And when we step into heaven, it's going to be morning. And so we trust in the Lord.
Now, when I'm talking about this, this is the quietness and confidence that God wants us to have. The calm assurance that even though we don't understand him, and it seems like everything's going crazy, he knows what's going on. The calm assurance that even though we die and suffer in this world, in heaven there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no one will ever die again. That this is all possible through Jesus. And this is how we find peace in a broken and fallen world. By keeping our eyes on him, not on our circumstances. So here are three things that can help us do that. Three ways we can, three things that will help us find peace and keep our eyes focused on him. First of all, we can cry out to God when we don't understand him. We can cry out to him. This is why we read, you know, a couple of verses in Psalm 22. David, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's what Jesus was saying on the cross. He said the same thing. We can cry out to God because Jesus understands our pain. He knows what it's like. I remember talking to a, a woman not long ago where it's like her husband had left her and she was brokenhearted and she was so angry because all of the dreams she had for their marriage and for their family was all shattered now. And she goes, I'm just so mad at God and I can't even tell him. And I said, well, why not? And she goes, I don't want him to know I'm mad at him. <laughs> I go, I think he's figured it out. Crying out to God is the opposite of the silent treatment. That doesn't even work well with our spouse or with our kids. Oh, we're not talking right now. Yeah, but you're in the kitchen making a sandwich side by side. Yeah. I need the mayo. I mean, that doesn't work well with other people. It's completely ridiculous with God. And the Lord asks us to come to him. I mean, listen, if you've never read Psalm 142 before, listen, to this is most of it. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him. I tell him all my troubles. Never feel bad about this. God knows that he's hard to understand. He knows how weak we are. He knows we can't grasp the scope of his plans from the beginning to end. He knows it takes faith to trust him. He knows. He just wants us to cry out. So when I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. But then I pray to you, O Lord, and I say, oh, you are my place of refuge. You're all that I really want in my life. Hear my cry, for I'm very low. Rescue me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. And the godly will crowd around me, for you are so good to me. This is what the Lord wants us to do. And crying out to him, even when we don't understand him, is an act of faith. The silent treatment is Mara, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. God's given up on me, I'm giving up on him. Can I beg you not to do that? If there's anyone in the whole universe who understands our pain, oh, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He became one of us. He's been tempted in every way that we are. If anybody understands injustice, it's the one who hung on the cross and was beaten and crucified for your sins and mine. He didn't just die for me. He died because of me. 
It wasn't right. It wasn't just. It was mercy. Please do not give him the silent treatment. If you cry out to him, he'll hear you and he'll give you peace. Please. Please. Secondly, we can praise God even when we don't feel like it. Talked to someone else just this last week and they said, I can't come to church right now. Why not? I've just got so many things in my life. I'm just, my life is so hard right now. I can't even imagine. I just stay in bed. I can't. I can't go to church on Sunday mornings. I can't sing God's praises because my life is just a shambles. I just can't do it. I go, oh, can I encourage you to lean into it and praise him? Hebrews 13, 15 tells you why. Always be, uh, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to him. A sacrifice of praise means bringing praise to God when you don't feel like it. It's no sacrifice to praise God when things are going well. I mean, that's just a response. A sacrifice of praise is when I sacrifice my pain and I sacrifice my right to be offended and I sacrifice my disappointment and I lay it all down and I say, Jesus, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you as the eternal one who sees the end from the beginning because I can't see any sense in this. I'm going to praise you because there's a place for me waiting in heaven. Even though this world is filled with pain, there'll be no more pain there. I'm going to praise you because, through, because you've forgiven me so much. I'm going to, you're going to empower me through your Holy Spirit to forgive others, and I don't even know how that works. And so I'm going to praise you now. This is a sacrifice of praise. That's what Paul wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians, he said, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. He's putting this all together. Cry out to God and thank him even when you don't feel like it. This is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. And finally, you and I can surrender our wills, our plans, and our understanding of how things ought to be. I mean, this is what it means when we cry out to God in faith, when we don't understand what's happening when we sing his praises, we have to do this. The night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed this in the garden. He said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He knew what was coming. He saw all the pain. He was fully God, but he was fully human at the same time. He felt all the pains we feel, and it, he knew it was literally going to kill him. And he said, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done not mine. Could we read this highlighted portion together, please? Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine with my career. I want your will to be done, not mine with my relationships. I want your will to be done, not mine with my hopes and dreams. John, do you know what you're asking? Uh, I'm asking you to trust him because we all have to do it. Naomi, the woman who was bitter, she never lived to see all this, but she turned out to be the great-grandmother of King David. And that Moabite girl she brought back, that was Ruth, who is in the lineage of Jesus himself in the Bible. Hannah, the woman who cried and couldn't eat because she couldn't have a baby, 
God blessed her with a baby. The prophet Samuel, the one who anointed David. Job was given a whole other family and and a very long life. Elijah was instructed what to do and to train up other people who would come after him. They couldn't see it at the time. There's no way they could have grasped God's plan. And the message to them would be the same message to us, but we're told their stories because from the advantage of history that we have, we can gain encouragement. We can see how God worked in ways they couldn't believe. So there are many prayers we're going to pray in our lives, many dreams and aspirations we have that we may never see in this world. But when we get to heaven, it will all be made clear. And we have to trust him. If we want to find peace, I don't have to understand God. I just need to trust him. I don't have to understand God. I just have to trust him. Could you say that with me, please? I don't have to understand God. I just have to trust him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I look forward to the day when I'm going to be reunited with my mom and Taylor Catherine and Debbie and I will we'll all be there together in the presence of Jesus. I'm certain of it. By faith, I know it's coming. By faith, Lord, I know that you know the answers to problems that I cannot solve. Lord, you understand everything I'm going through when it seems like nobody else, nobody understands. And you care when it seems like nobody cares. I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and that you would change the way we think so that, Lord, even when we're going through hard times, we can have peace. Lord, I have to surrender my problems to you. Lord, you'll show me what to do. But Lord, I don't want to be called bitter the rest of my life. I don't want to give up in despair like Elijah. I want peace. God, help me trust in you. With all my heart, I trust in you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.